you've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. Okay, I am back. I'm excited about this particular podcast. I've got an interest in photography. Uh, I am a photographer. I used to be a photographer. I don't know how, I don't think if, if you're a photographer, I don't think you ever leave it. Um, but I have a passion for art. I have a passion for photography, and I have found this very interesting outlier in my social feed. Uh, her name is, she goes by Garbage Ghost as an artist. She also goes by Cocaine Michelle, a.k.a. Tara Fall, a.k.a. the Sarah Connor of Portland. You can find her on Twitter, at Cocaine Michelle. Um, terribly interesting artist, traipsing around the streets of Portland, capturing some of the most fascinating shots you've ever seen. She's independent. She's not doing it for the grift. She's not doing it to shill. Um, There's no real political um, end to her artistry. So I said, hey, let's talk to her. And she said, hey, I wouldn't mind talking. So let's bring her in. What's up, Tara? What's up, Garbage Ghost? What's up, Cocaine Michelle? (laughs) <laughs> so many names so many names uh i'm doing good uh thank you for having me on i appreciate it and uh that was like a really nice intro i almost think that i sound cool for a second which... <laughs> oh you are cool you're the you're the you're badass you are cooler than bad you are cooler than cool you are badass and i get the names i mean i'm i'm smoking jay i'm the conservative hippie i'm jay frat i'm wheels up i probably forgot one or two so i like it when i meet a fellow uh person with uh too many monikers it's true i didn't think it through the one um, I'm, I get, garbage ghost. I get it. You're you're traipsing around the cities, the city of Portland on those streets. Um, I almost feel like you. The, I, I get the sense of anonymity, like you're left alone, as if you're a ghost and and you're taking pictures in the garbage. Is that where that comes from? It does. Yeah, it was kind of a mashup. Um, I earned this nickname a long time ago of being ghost because. Um, people would tend to forget about me in a weird way. Like they would forget I was there or that I had taken part in something like I had evaporated from their memories. So I got the nickname ghost and, um, I was taking a lot of pictures of garbage and spending a lot of time in garbage at the time that I made my Twitter handle. So I became the garbage ghost and I didn't really intend to keep it, uh, the garbage part, but people became, uh, I don't know, attached to me being garbage. So well, you're the, I kept uh, it. you're the second person <laughs> to come on this podcast with a moniker of ghost. Um, and I appreciate a different type of ghost. Where does cocaine Michelle come from? <laughs> cocaine Michelle was, um, a spur of the moment pun that I came up with based on the cocaine Mitch, uh, thing that was happening at the time, Mitch McConnell, had some thing that he'd been accused of. Honestly, I can't even remember exactly what it was. Um, But there was this cocaine Mitch joke that was going on about him. And I thought his face was really funny. And I thought the name was funny. And I loved Michelle Tanner in Full House when I was growing up. So I made my Twitter name Cocaine Michelle based on Cocaine Mitch. Yeah, It was just a pun. Nobody gets it. I get accused of being a cocaine addict all the time or whatever. And I, I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it now. You do have to explain it. Um, and that, that makes sense. Cocaine Michelle. All right. All right. And that's the Twitter handle again at cocaine Michelle. If you want to follow her artistic endeavor on Twitter, um, it is amazing. It's one of my favorite follows, um, especially recently, um, since I found you discovered you, I discovered you like you discover your art on the street. Um, the Sarah Connor of Portland. I've also had another Sarah Connor on my podcast, and she's pretty badass. Um, <laughs> so, where does this come from? The Sarah Connor of Portland is it? Is it? Is it does take guts to do what you do? Um, explain that one a little bit. 
that was given to me as a name by one of my friends and followers on Twitter. Um, I think it had to do with me and my tank top with my shoulders and sort of this apocalyptic uh, scenery that I was walking around in. And there was some sort of a joke about how I was raising the resistance in my own house because I also, uh, you know, I have kids and hopefully they will help uh, make the world a better place or something in the future. But uh, yeah, we've yeah. we've got to teach them how to uh, disarm those dog robots. Now, exactly. oh, I, I'm mixing my metaphors with Black Mirror and Terminator, but that's okay. Everybody understands. We're more... Yeah, it's fine. No, it's super creepy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so let's get into this. I, I grew up in Southwest Washington, um, spent most of my life in Southwest Washington. Portland was always the big city that you would go to. Um, as a young adult, I lived in Vancouver, Washington. So, hey, you know, you go across the bridge. That's where the culture is. That's where the nightlife is. Um, so I've, I've traipsed around all these places that I see in your photographs um, from um, the, the Chinese district in downtown to Pioneer Square. I really like Belmont, Hawthorne area, spent time in southeast Portland. And I see... Uh, I see these places that you capture with your imagery, and I wonder to myself, because I haven't been to Portland in years. The last time I was in Portland was uh, 11-11-2016, so the riots that were going on because of the Trump election, um, and, you know, I, 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 I get a thrill out of a flashbang grenade. So I was down on the streets kind of covering it on Periscope. Uh, it happened to be my my girlfriend's birthday. And I tra traipsed her around uh, all of downtown Portland. Um, but I'm curious, what has happened to the city? I want to get your take, because I'm just amazed at how far you travel seemingly on a daily basis um, through your photographs and just to get your take on what has happened to the city, what has happened to these iconic spots that that uh, used to be full of love, joy, commerce, uh, different people of different backgrounds, different um, ideologies even coming together in peace. It, it seems that Portland has become this um, icon of this uh, war-torn war ideology where, where um, this liberalism has stripped away all the joy of Portland. Uh, that's true. Although uh, liberalism has many different meanings and true liberalism probably isn't what happened to oh, Portland. Th thank you for the, cor thank you for the cor <laughs> correction. Uh, I should say progressivism. That is definitely it. It's the progressivism. Um, man, there's so many layers. Uh, and I'm not the expert on all the things that have happened to Portland, but the two things were uh, COVID and Trump. Those were kind of the hinge points of, I think, uh, everything kind of falling apart here. And I'm going to say, I also think that there's some kind of uh, probably offend some people, but the deep state, the, the globalist agenda, I don't know what it is, but the people who tinker with societies and are trying to like trying to create the future, or uh, I think there's some experimentation happening here as well as other West coast. Very areas. interesting. So, so when you say, I, I've, when you say Trump, you mean the reaction to Trump? Yes, for sure. Um, so for a place that says that it's very open-minded and um, loving and the coexist crowd and all that, um, that's not really the reality of what's going on here uh, from my perspective. And the reaction to the the Trump election and also the 2020 election particularly, because that's what I was really here for, um, was a lot of fear and a lot of hate and a lot of reaction and reacting to things that didn't necessarily exist or weren't really happening, but people thought they were. Um, and they thought they were resisting these things that they were afraid of that probably weren't real because I spent enough time on either social media or um, next door, which is insane here to know what people actually thought and what they were processing and afraid of. Um, and they were afraid of some kind of ridiculous things, <laughs> I yeah. will say, like, uh, 
you know, that right wingers were going to come busting down their doors or, you know, like just really crazy stuff. And they're legit afraid of these things. So um, people were uh, scared of that. And then COVID hit and everyone was scared of everyone. And the the loving, quirky, weird scene in Portland became just uh, some kind of dystopian nightmare. <laughs> it was I don't even know how else to describe it. A, it really was just a self-imposed penitentiary of despair. It was. And people were just terrified. And they were so terrified that they like conjured up a lot of hatred inside of themselves for anyone who who poked that fear in any way. So it, nobody trusted each other. They wanted to avoid one another. You also couldn't say the wrong thing politically because we also had the, the George Floyd and the the riots. And if you said the wrong thing about that, you could become ostracized in your community. So it was like all these things created this festering brew of fear and distrust. And um, people didn't want to end up on the wrong side of that stuff. So everything kind of shut down and people went insular and they became um, afraid of interacting. And it's taken a long time to get out of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, al- it's almost like a, um, uh, we're just seeing blatant hypocrisy in our face, uh, projection everywhere. The very things that they were afraid that the Trump administration was, would bring, uh, they themselves put a stamp on um, yes. in their own actions. And it was justified in their minds. Um, but I don't know. I'm trying to—I'm in this place where I know I'm the dissenting thinker, and I'm trying to view things from, like, uh, way up in the sky and see things kind of fairly as they're happening. And so um, I get— why people reacted the way that they did. Um, but it also is kind of crazy. So, sometimes, <laughs> so. sometimes when I talk to people that, that are really bought in on that, um, let's just call it the medical tyranny, um, fear-based uh, COVID narrative, I always find it interesting that it's the anti-fascists that, that went and became the shock troops of following the orders and, yeah, it's and, very and, ironic. <laughs> and people can't see that it was that that there's a there's a narrative potential threat of investigation which leads you to uh, the fact that the, the 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 whole COVID response was fascism. It really was, and it was tyranny, and people just wanted to accept it because it made them feel better or made them feel less fear. They're they're um, they're trusted. Um, faith yeah. leaders, trusted medical partners gave them such great advice, but yet yes. it was it's hard to understand how these people, how they couldn't see that there were um, financial incentives for a lot of these um, medical leaders that were giving them um, advice that was just beamed to them from above and didn't really have science at heart. No, and it was trust the science, trust the science, but there wasn't a scientific process happening with that, which uh, it was just infuriating. It was so, it was the darkest time in my life ever living here through that. We could hear riots from our house. We couldn't go anywhere. Everyone hated everybody. Uh, It was crazy. And that was actually what me, it got me on the streets documenting things. That's how I got out there. Was now, the now, riots and COVID? And thank you for turning it to that. I'm sorry for the sorry for the beginning of the political <laughs> discussion. Um, we are here to talk about your art and yourself. And whenever I see your photography, um, I think about your husband, and I think, <laughs> my God, like, d- d- is he like just fully bought in that this is the Sarah Connor of Portland and has faith in you to take care of yourself, or does he worry incessantly and how do you, um, you know, I've walked, I've walked these, these streets, and it can be, you have to watch out. You have to be um, careful and aware. And, yes. and so how do you do it, I guess? How do you maintain your marriage, uh, put, your, put your husband at ease, and yet go and get the shots and go to the places that you go to? 
Oh, that's a good question. And I wish I knew the answer to it. The thing is that, yes, he does worry incessantly. And I have taxed his uh, trust in my ability to know where I should and should not go many times. And I've always been a person who is very curious and um, likes to go where the interesting thing is. And he likes to say that I run towards danger instead of away from it. Um, and that, I guess, is just who I am. And so he's had to gradually adjust to that being my interest. Um, yes. <laughs> but yeah, he worries and other people worry. And I try to be smart and uh, aware of what's happening around me. And I'm really not sure why more bad things haven't happened to me out there because there's been some very sketchy situations to be sure um but yeah i just go towards the danger and the uh wherever the smoke is coming from if it's happening around me i go towards it and i try to figure out what's happening because i honestly just want to know the truth of what's happening around me and to show other people what the truth is because i don't think that they're necessarily getting that from the mainstream media um, and that was kind of my goal in going out and photographing things to start with, just to combat gaslighting and lies. And I like art, so I made it into art. That was, that was how I started doing this. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating um, to, to try to take a psychological look at what your life must be like within your family unit. Um, because you are a mom as well, mm -hmm. so you yeah. you know you rear you rear small children. Uh, you have a husband, and yet you have a penchant for putting your boots on and going out into tunnels and alleyways, and uh, go from from what I can see from your Twitter, <laughs> going up to people and um, caring for them in some ways. And I just just before I turn it back over, I want to talk about. Um, I always talk about how many planks there are in this effort to repair our country. And one of the things I respect so much about your art and what you're doing is is the selfless nature, the the passion you have for it, that you are running to danger. You are documenting these people's lives who are forgotten just in these bland conversations people have about the homeless crisis or, you know, um, um, the dangers of downtown. You go and put a legitimate face on it. You take a picture of it that shows the grit and the grime of of what's become of our society. And I often say that this is a rescue mission, and we as a society need to pick up that mantra that this is a rescue mission. These people on the streets need to be rescued, and the longer it takes, the the more I, I, I have dismay for uh, my fellow citizens because it's clear what needs to be done. These people need help. And, and nobody's going to do it. We have to do it as a society. There's not an amorphous government that's going to do it. We are the government. We have to demand it. We have to participate in it. And uh, your artistry, your photography, goes and puts a very personal tone on the needs of this rescue mission. Thank you for saying that, because that's exactly my intention. Um, and going into these places and uh, talking to people and getting their real stories and then taking very real photos of them when they allow me to. Um, it gives people a window, I think, into worlds that either um, they usually look away from or they don't have access to. And for whatever reason, uh, they tend to usually trust me when I walk into their communities or into their camps or you know whatnot um to have conversations with people i just want to hear their stories and um get like a true idea of what the cause is for why people are on the streets what their actual experiences out there um who they are and what they care about and um i don't like i just want i want people to see reality so um yeah. And see, yeah, <laughs> and see the see the humanity, see the humanity, the humanity, yeah, because because those are humans that are they are, 
that are stuck in yeah. a in a cycle of despair and they, they yeah they need to be rescued they do and i unfortunately i feel like portland and probably i haven't been there recently but san francisco um i hear vancouver bc also seattle uh seattle um they're just kind of black holes for sucking people with uh, addiction issues or mental health issues into their spheres and then like giving them a good place to just destroy themselves. Uh, they're coming here from all over the place and destroying themselves on the street and they're giving the tools to do it. Um, like we're handing out foil and needles and pipes and, uh, you know, medical care. And so far as we'll keep you alive you know, until the next time you actually die. Uh, and, there's like zombies walking around it's people whose their psyches are totally damaged or um you know they're just barely hanging on to life and they they look like zombies and it's just shocking like if you actually pay attention and you look at them um some of them are like that or just the amount of suffering like i don't know <laughs> it's it's a different world out here and I'm hoping that people can see it, especially before it hits their cities and um, it spreads because they want to mock us. And, you know, I, I get the fact that they want to say you voted for this over and over, which is true. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen to other people's cities or their loved ones or that their loved ones won't come to a place like this and yeah. <laughs> like just wreck themselves. Um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Our, adi um, our addiction crisis has um, touched family members, um, and almost all families. I mean, some, somebody knows, um, a person, um, that, that's fallen to the opioid crisis and that's now morphed into this zombie-like fentanyl crisis. Yes. Um, fentanyl is wild. <laughs> and then, and then public policies, what, what we hear about is, is housing first. And, and, um, I can't remember the exact term that sounds virtuous, but, you know, handing out needles and care, um, oh yes, but it does harm reduction. Harm reduction, thank you. Harm but it, reduction. But harm reduction is killing people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and and also, and then the housing first. It's like, what do you, do you want to get them off the streets so you don't have to see them die slowly? Um, and and we know that um, fentanyl takes around ninety days to detox from these people. As you as you put it, they've got uh, damaged psyches. Uh, we need to rescue them as a society, and I don't see a political movement that's troubling to me, is I don't see a political movement that is ready to rescue these people. The, the, the irony in everything is the, is the political party in this, in this uh, two-party system um, that has the, the most ideas to um, head towards the fire, to put out the fire to help rescue these people, is the Republican Party, the party that is slandered as if they are um, unsympathetic and not empathetic, uh, and it's just a bizarro, upside-down world. It is. Everything about everything here is very upside-down. And I, I can't even express how frustrating it is that people don't see it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they don't see it. But, like, the, the, we, have, we have bodily autonomy, right? Um, but we're also going to mandate that you put this thing in your body. Um, but that's fine because it's for like the public safety, but then also we can let people, uh, kill themselves in the streets. That's fine. Like, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like we're saving lives. We're letting people kill themselves. It's all fine. Like it all makes sense. Trust me. Trust the science. Trust the science. <laughs> trust the science. I got... Nothing makes any sense. Yeah, it, it it's true. Um, let let me get to the Portland part because I'm I'm fascinated. I want to hear about this. Um, one of my favorite photos of yours is of a very colorful storefront, and it's a bar, and it's and it's it's clearly a, a music venue, and and you see this painted facade. And it's very well done. It's very colorful. And then you look a little closer at the photo, and it's a lot like a lot of downtown businesses in Seattle, in Portland, um, even here in Olympia, where I am. 
um, on the I-5 corridor, I'm sure in San Francisco, these other cities uh, that have been hit by this blight of homeless um, drug crisis, uh, mental, mental illness crisis, in the fact that the storefront is boarded up. And what they've done mm -hmm. is painted and made their boarded up storefront, their boarded up venue, colorful. And mm -hmm. what I want to hear is, I mean, I, I've seen this in different places. Your photography captures it very well in that one photo. What is Portland like these days where, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, there was a vibrancy on Hawthorne. Uh, Belmont was an up-and-coming area with nightlife um, and condos. The downtown area with Pioneer Square um, had a shopping district and um, different bars. Uh, Kelly's Olympian is one of my favorite bars to go to in downtown Portland. What What has all of that become, or is... Or is it possible that there are two different Portlands living in the same space that don't recognize each other, if you understand what I mean there? I do, actually, and that's kind of a good way of putting it. I can see how that is true at the moment. Um, if you asked me last year, I would say that it was just dead. Uh, nobody still wanted to go out and do things. And yes, everything's boarded up. Uh, the broken windows thing has not stopped, even though it's not a riot thing. It's more of a uh, people can just commit crimes and know that nothing's going to happen to them thing. Um, so with broken windows, still a problem. Yes, things are still boarded up. People are not going out as much. Like, okay, Hawthorne, I loved that place. Oh, my goodness. Hawthorne District, favorite. Um, Alberta, I loved it. And it's just kind of dead. The last time I went to Hawthorne, I thought this is one of the most depressing things that I've witnessed, like in a while. Oh wow! Because I mean, I, I mean, I, this the this moniker, the conservative hippie. You know, it is no lie. And and Hawthorne was like hippie central um, in Portland. Um, that's where a lot of good head shops were. Um, there were small businesses thriving. Uh, very interesting cultural area. Mm -hmm. When you say dead, you know, is it is it stores are out of business? Is it is the drug mental health crisis? You know, is that uh, pushed up into that Hawthorne district? What uh, help me help me paint the picture for people? Um, Hawthorne's an iconic street in Portland. A lot of people who may listen to this podcast have visited it. Um, help help me understand what's become of it. Uh, like um, like you said, it was kind of the. Not so much the drug and mental health, although there are people roaming around with definite crisis going on. It's the lack of businesses that are staying there and the lack of foot traffic and just vibrancy that there was. I can't say what it's like right now at night because maybe that's a little more exciting. But during the day, it was even on the kind of a holiday, I think, the last time I went there. Um, and I just thought, this is sad. Uh, this used to be a very fun place. and the head shops yeah and the small businesses and uh even powell's didn't really seem to be doing great there which is kind of surprising uh, i don't know if people from outside of this area know about powell's but it's uh iconic and a bookstore that everybody loves and um what about what about Powell's downtown the, the if i'm not mistaken there's a Powell's on burnside um in downtown uh, Portland. There's a brew pub uh, in the Pearl District, really close to uh, Powell's down there. What what are those areas like these days? They're picking back up, and uh, Powell seems to be making an effort to keep some of the crazy off of their doorstep. So you got like armed guards standing around outside all the built all the buildings there. Oh, that's ironic. Uh, that's another piece, not just that's another piece yeah. of piece of irony, folks. If, yeah. if, if a little inside Portland baseball, uh, Powell's, you know, you, you you could go there. It's a great bookstore, huge bookstore. Everybody loves it, but you could definitely find your communist manifesto and latest um, offerings on uh, democratic socialism at the Powell's bookstore. Oh, it has not. That actually has changed. It's probably gotten even worse. So it's all gender ideology there and all communism. It's it's a little bit of a freak show inside. And when I take my kids there, they have a good laugh at some of the displays because they're kind of ridiculous. But then you have the armed guards outside and you got armed guards 
outside of the Doc uh, Martin store across the street. They even have armed security inside of Buffalo Exchange, which is a used clothing store (laughs) in that neighborhood because um, it's not really a theft thing. I think it's more of um, a drug freak out thing. So they need to have somebody who can remove somebody if they're having a psychotic episode. How about or, how about Southwest Portland? Uh, when, when I was last a regular visitor to Portland, Southwest Portland was like your um, your niche, hip little uh, cultural area. Um, I, it's not anthropology. It's owned by anthropology. Help me think of the store that it's called. But that was one of the anchor stores there um, close to uh, the baseball stadium that's now the soccer stadium. Um, what's what's that area of town look like nowadays? You know, it depends on which street you walk around on. That's kind of the uh, the truth of everywhere in Portland. It's like one street can be okay. And then the next one is the one where all the encampments have moved to, or it's just having a bad day that day. Uh, Southwest, the farther you go Southwest, the better it gets because there's just more wealth there. And I'm not sure how they managed to keep some of the, the craziness out of it. But the farther Southwest you go, it tends to be the better it gets. And then you hit Lake Oswego and everything's great. <laughs> and the world is like a nonstop uh, sunshiny day. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to Trader Joe's and get groceries and <laughs> and and watch the uh, watch the Ducks play on Saturday. Yes, um, no kidding. <laughs> so, and and when I back when I was um, young, so you know, thirty years ago. Um, the the seedier part of Portland was that deep downtown. I, I'm referring to like Ankeny and Burnside, you know, across from the gateway to the Chinese uh, district and the bars, the nightlife. But if you if mm-hmm. you if you travel too far into what is now the Max Line, um, travel too far under those overpasses, you would see mm-hmm. the seedier part of um, of of heroin addicted Portland at the time, but you almost had to go stumbling looking for it to see it, to witness it. Um, I would imagine those areas are just overrun now. Um, help me understand. Cause, cause if I'm not mistaken from a lot of the photographs I've seen, that's your main area that you're traipsing around. I do spend a lot of time in Chinatown and around the area of the max line, the steel bridge, which um, has trains running over it and um, goes, you know, across the river. Um, but yeah, you don't have to go deep into that stuff to find anything. You just have to be on Burnside, really. I mean, um, the entrance to the west side on Burnside is sad. Uh, there's there's missions there. There's services for the homeless, and so a lot of stuff is concentrated around there. And then it's kind of an epicenter of things that happen. So um, you'll find a lot of needles and poop on the sidewalks and people screaming and ranting and wandering out into traffic. Um, I find like discarded hospital and prison garments, you know, like shoes and, and robes and bracelets. So people are coming to that area uh, after getting released from various places. Um, usually to their detriment, I think. Yeah. <laughs> considering what I've seen, but, um, it's crazy. Like there's people, uh, just, they're wandering around screaming. They're screaming at nobody. They're screaming at somebody. Sometimes they're screaming at me, but <laughs> usually not. Uh, what? there's people shooting up. There's people smoking fentanyl. There's people stuck in a slump bent over because they've done fentanyl. Uh, there's, I've seen people pooping in the streets and uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. You don't have to go off the main drag to find anything anymore. Yeah. What's, um, you know, this, this concern that I have for your husband who has for you, <laughs> um, what, what's a situation that you found, um, you got on the edge of and you're fine. Uh, but you could see if you didn't make decisions, how it could have gone a different way. Um, well, I mean, I've, accidentally walked into clouds of fentanyl which didn't feel great um <laughs> which 
it's kind of a danger for anybody, I guess, walking around. And the worst cases I've actually had have been me just walking around a corner and accidentally stumbling into it because people are doing it in the middle of the sidewalk. Um, wow. And, and, and help, help people, you know, uh, like myself, I haven't had that happen. I've, I've, uh, I've smelt some very unusual smells um, at times uh, in a downtown area. Um, and I don't mean like a poop. I mean, it was just like, a, <laughs> like almost like a toxic kind of drug smell. But, but yeah. what, but what happened to you? What, what did that feel like? Did it, did you feel it as if you had ingested something? I felt weird and I had strange vision in one of my eyes and I'm sorry, my husband, if you're listening to this, because I didn't actually tell you about that, oh. uh, <laughs> but that was a while ago and I'm fine. Yeah. I felt weird. It was kind of stroby and my eye felt strange, but I was okay. Um, <laughs> I have had people with schizophrenic episodes lock into me and the voices in their heads don't like me that day. That's usually the scariest yes. because they're, they're not reasonable. Um, most often the people's schizo voices do like me and we have nice conversations. Occasionally they don't and they chase me around threatening to kill me and it's a little scary. Um, you know, there's like weird perverts out there who try to get me to do stuff with them and I say no. And I'm glad that I have never been raped. <laughs> um, but, but you're okay. So now let, let's let's help get a get a picture of this. This this isn't this image isn't looking good for your safety, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Tara. You know, about ready to about ready to start a counseling session on on how we can <laughs> how we can turn your artistry uh, be, be it more safe. Um, but it wouldn't be fun anymore. <laughs> gosh. So, so maybe that's it. Co cocaine, Michelle. She doesn't actually do cocaine. She just snorts life. <laughs> life like it's cocaine, the dangers of life. Um, uh, and then these these industrial areas. I'm, I'm a bit of a freak for industrial photography. I just absolutely mm -hmm. love the juxtaposition. You've got one image on your Twitter where it's like this graffiti-laid wall on train tracks with this brand new condo unit, it looks like, on the right. Uh -huh. and, it's, and it's just this really great... Um, con uh, contrast. <laughs> I love the contrast. Yes. And I love the industrial areas and uh, the grittiness and the graffiti. And that tends to be the areas where they have more uh, new construction that's available. So yeah, you get these very fancy uh, condos or apartments and then just something very contrasting happening. But I love the train tracks. I love going down there and seeing what I can find and the graffiti and the encampments. And there's always some weird pile of garbage that's left that kind of tells a story about who was there. Garbage ghost. That's yeah. You have, you have <laughs> such a fantastic shot. There's a, there's a graffiti on like an underpass and, and the graffiti is um, to die for. And mm -hmm. on the ground is the paint can and like paint tray that they used um, to paint it. So it was, I say graffiti, but it, it wasn't rattle can. It was like they used a roller and you took yeah. this great shot of the, of the garbage remains with the, with the graffiti art in the background. Yeah. It still smelled fresh too. They must not have been there very long before. Um, yeah, I've gotten people to let me take their picture while they're doing their tags. Um, and I just kind of try to come in with, a a neutral attitude and I'm trying to capture whatever it is that people are doing out there um, as like a time capsule. Yep. Uh, sometimes I don't agree with what people are doing, I'll say, but I don't really take like a public stance on the stuff because I feel like it kind of gets away of me having access or people looking at what I have to show. Yeah, there's um, there's uh, a cab uh, everywhere in graffiti. All <laughs> all cops are bastards. And, okay, I will take a stance on that. <laughs> and I'm uh, and I'm I'm wondering, like, when you traipse around and you see these people in these psychotic episodes, um, they've got the fentanyl lean, and it's right out in public. Um, is there even a police presence anymore in Portland? 
and you know what are they doing? Is their time just consumed with uh, the minutia of small minor calls? What, what what is that? What is your sense as you walk the streets? Like if you did need um, help or assistance, how quickly would that be found? My experience is that if you need help, you shouldn't count on it happening. Um, because I've called many times and either gotten no response um, or not been able to get through 911 or I have been told that somebody is coming, but they never do. And if you try to call for a street response, which is the non-emergency, uh, non-police thing that we have here, they're probably not coming either. Um, so if you have an emergency, don't have it in Portland. That's my advice. Uh, but the the police they do exist and i've actually talked to a couple of police who work specifically in the downtown core and they know all the actors and they know everything that's going on down there um and one of them has said that like he basically knows all the addicts who are on the streets and they hand out these tickets to them for the drug use which basically are useless um, and with that, they're required to offer them assistance with finding uh, addiction care or uh, shelter, and basically they never take it. So um, there are police down there, and they are interacting with people, um, but the people who don't want help don't have to receive it. And even if they are having an overdose experience, they uh, are asked if they want to be taken to the hospital for care, and if they don't want it, then they're just left out there because they have chosen to do that. Um, so yes, there are police. Um, they can't really do a whole lot about some of the stuff. And then other things, I think there's just a malaise because it's like, you know, they can arrest somebody, but they're not going to get prosecuted. So what's the point? And that's, and um, I guess that's that you're on the ground there. You've, you've seen it from the beginning, you know, is this, uh, is this being executed by the district attorney's office, the mayor's office, society in general? Like it seems like an easy switch to flip where that care goes from being um, voluntary. Like here in Washington, our governor is very proud of his walk-in, his walk-in uh, facilities where, you know, the mental health patient, if they walk in, um, they can receive care, but they can also walk out whenever they want. Well, who do you know in a schizophrenic episode is like, gee, I really need to talk to a counselor right now. <laughs> Give me my medication. <laughs> yes. So, you know, um, where do you where do you see the fault in this as, a, as, as looking from this 50,000 foot view um, as a judge of society? Uh, what what led what what prevents this care, this rescue operation from occurring? I would say it's probably a combination of measure 110 that we have here, which um, decriminalized drug usage and possession. Um, and people are allowed to just do it in public. So uh, that's kind of led to some of the more cinematic situations, I would say, you know, just people smoking up in the middle of the sidewalk. Yeah. Um, but then our district attorney is a huge problem. Mike Schmidt, who would be like a Soros uh, funded DA, he has let all kinds of things go. I mean, he let Antifa go. Uh, that was a huge problem for us for the rioting and um, just like base criminals who are victimizing people on a regular basis get re-released out into the streets to do it over and over again and um it's like a lawless society where people know that you can just kind of get away with stuff if you're the right kind of person so no not just some middle class mom or some white dude like yourself who has a job <laughs> but you know everyone else uh, they can do what they want and they can break stuff and steal things and do drugs in the streets. And, uh, you know, it just kind of goes and nobody's coming to help you if that happens to you. And yeah, that's just too bad. And if you complain about it, you're probably a racist. So just move. 
Yeah, that's, <laughs> you're you're describing. You know, you said it in the beginning, but this does. You know, it's got the tinge of dystopia to it, mm-hmm. and. And I'm curious, you, you you led on to your frustrations because you do talk to your peer group. Um, you know, you, kids kids play with kids. You meet moms, right? You're out on the streets. You see you see people with jobs and talk to people. Your husband is out in society. Um, why why are people so captured? Uh, with voting one particular way, and and why why do they not see the outcome of the last decade of their voting patterns? That's a great question. Um, for one, I think it's just ingrained in people that decent people vote this way. Like we are good people, we are compassionate people, and compassionate and good people vote this way. And there's not really another option presented to them, particularly in Portland, because if you look at the ballot, there's not very many options that are presented to you that even give an alternate path. Um, Like when we voted for the mayor, it was Ted Wheeler, who's kind of like a weenie. And then this chick who loves Antifa. Yeah, like she, who are you going to vote for? It, it was no. it was very odd. You had you had a, a mayor <laughs> a mayor who was very light and soft handed on crime, um and Antifa, and then the the opponent was pro Antifa. It was very bizarre. Yes, it was Sarah in her own was the she called herself the Antifa candidate, and then there was a writing candidate who was like the BLM person, and that was our choices. And I'm sorry, but like, how are we going to vote our way out of this? This is the people who had the funding and the support to get onto the ballot. And there's no other choices. Um, And it's often the same for other things. So, um, one, there's not really any other good choices to vote for. And I don't think people understand that. So when they're like, you voted for this. And it's like, well, I had no other choice. Um, I wrote somebody else in and it didn't work. So, (laughs) uh, you know, my bad, but the the other thing I think is just a cultural thing. It's a, like a cultural West Coast city thing. And whoever moves here must also be operating under the same um, rules of conduct. And it really is like you vote blue, you vote straight Democrat, or you're not a decent, compassionate person. Yeah, I've talked and, I've talked about this often. Um, it's it's a similar um, with um, here in Olympia, Seattle, where there's a low information voter, and when the ballot comes to them, they've been programmed to mark that D because that means they're a good person. Yeah, and they're and it's it's, it's a lot it's a lot of programming, it's a lot of marketing, um, and it's and it's sad because. It, it's not difficult to get information. We've got voters' pamphlets. They're very clear. But for some reason, piercing that marketing is very difficult. And you'd think the track record of the last couple decades and tra- the clear trajectory of our major cities, Portland, Seattle, and the Pacific Northwest, would show you that something should change. And yet, you're a bad <laughs> person if you suggest that. I must be an alt-right white nationalist to be pointing Mm -hmm. this out. Well, of course. I mean, there's no other way to think about it. And there is no problem to start with, but if there was, it would be because of the white nationalists and Trump, probably. Yeah, Um. just just (laughs) absolutely, absolutely bizarre situation we're in. Um, it is. I, I I saw I saw on Twitter. There's a lot of people uh, haranguing you on how they can support you. I saw your pin tweet. Um, you have at least given like a cash app address. Um, I'm more interested in trying to get um, your photography um, um, seen more and in print. Um, so we'll we'll work together on that. Because it's just what you're doing is amazing. Your cat, you clearly have an eye uh, for the right shot. Uh, what are you using to take these photographs? Um, well, I was using for a while some borrowed cameras from a friend um, who taught me how to shoot uh, on, you know, like a real camera. 
And that was over kind of the past year. And in November or December, I can't remember, I finally managed to uh, save up enough money selling my artwork to buy my own Nikon camera. So I've got a Nikon Z6 II and a couple of lenses. And that's what I've been working on learning, uh, taking around the city recently. Now, so it is 2024. So I have to ask, you say, quote unquote, a real camera. Are we talking about film or are you talking about a <laughs> Nikon digital camera? It's a digital, but it's a full frame camera and it's not my phone and it's uh, not somebody else's camera and it's not a camera from 2006 or whatever I was using before. Okay. So yeah, no, it's great. I love it. I'm like so grateful that I have this and I've been having the best time uh, aside from all the like meth smoke and uh, murder threats, taking it around the city and (laughs) learning to use it. Um, because it's like, it's just a joy. I love it. I love it so much. And well, you're living um, life. I mean, what, what is life? What is life for if it's not for living? And I'm the type, I'm the type of person that's very curious as well. And I've gotten myself into some, um, dangerous situations potentially, um, in my, in my life. (laughs) And so I, I just, I just love the view, the, the, the window that you're sharing with uh, people like me um, of Portland, of a city in despair, and you're you're showing that gritty despair. I'm curious. I know there's tunnels and underground in Portland. Have you ever accidentally traipsed uh, uh, along uh, an entrance to this underground portion of Portland, or is that all cordoned, cordoned off um, for tourists only and tourists uh, walking groups? I haven't been in the real tunnel tunnels, although I did spend some time talking to a guy um, who lives on the streets and he was telling me about the Shanghai tunnels that we have and some of the entrances and that uh, there's that he's witnessed like human trafficking going on underneath the ground there and does some work trying to um, snatch people out of it. I think I can't forget what he called himself. Um, but he would try to snatch people out of the tunnels who had like gotten trapped in there. Um, and it's not just kids, it's, you know, adults and whatever. So there's some crazy stuff happening under there. I've found myself in some weird places though, um, in hidden areas kind of like tucked away under overpasses or, um, not in tunnel tunnels, but kind of underground, uh, encampment areas or in forests, which, People don't usually see, and it's kind of a like a second world. Yeah, um, it's a different society, and they operate by different rules. And it's a little bit like watching a movie, which, um, like, if you imagine Mad Max or um, some kind of like post-apocalyptic scenario where people have formed a new society and there's new rules and and all that. That actually exists in Portland, and I'm sure other cities over here too. Um, and people just can't even imagine like the reality of it. It's like witnessing a movie, yeah, but I, it's real. I think the bo- <laughs> the bottom line here as we wrap it up, if your city's motto is keep Portland weird, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> it's not even weird anymore. It's just broken and messed up. <laughs> yeah, sad, sad. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I look forward to speaking with you again. Uh, we're Twitter pals, and now uh, we've spoken in real life. Um, I, yeah. I, I encourage you. You know, one thing we didn't get to today um, when we were talking about the dangers of the streets, and if you follow her on Twitter, you'll get all kinds of great stories about the, the <laughs> o- old man that's throwing a guitar at her from across the street. He threw a guitar street. at me. Yeah. He called me racist things. He was like <laughs> screaming racist stuff at me. So funny. Yeah, just the 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 people in their episodes that she comes across. Um <laughs> it, it it you do you do put kind of a humorous um lens on these situations like where I can I almost laugh like oh no, she's okay. This guy is not tracking her down. He's like <laughs> hurling this wooden guitar halfway he across threw the road. guitar at me and ice guy was really mad i don't know what to say he was having a bad day (laughs) 
and so you know to find joy and laughter um even in the even in the depths of misery um is commendable in some ways and i imagine you have to find that uh, to continue going with this passion of documenting um, this situation, because it does need to be documented. People do need to see it. They just watch on television and get these amorphous words and and use their imagination of these non-human beings um, to actually see um, the man in a fentanyl slump, as you put it, and then to read your words as you say, you put your hand on his back and, and asked him if he was okay, and and he muttered back, um, you know, like a thank you that you provided that that care and that warmth to somebody that that might have been, um, I don't know, in another world, in another drug-addled world at that time. And it, yeah, it's pretty wild. We need to we need to bring humanity back to these people that are that are broken and alone. Even if they say they want to be broken and alone. Uh, we have to figure out ways to bring them back to society, um, and yeah. I think the most cruel thing is the neglect and the um, the allowance of these things to occur. Yeah, or just trying to pretend it's not happening. Yeah. Um, the gaslighting, I'm kind of against that, so that's what I'm out there trying to get rid of is the gaslight. Yeah. Oh, they're just campers. They're just campers. Just... Yeah, they're just. Camping, doing do, doing great, just like gypsies in their RVs. Yeah, it's not that. That is not the case. Yeah. All right. Well, dangerous world out there. Well, <laughs> well, we will talk again. Again, the way to get in touch with her um, to find out. There'll be links in the show notes if you want to go to theconservativehippie.com. I'll link you directly to where you can see uh, garbage ghosts um, work. Yeah, you can you can see her um, on Twitter at Cocaine Michelle. See the pinned tweet if you want to buy a cup of coffee or buy a piece of artwork um, digitally. I'm sure she's got that um, method, and uh, and you never know. Maybe maybe we'll partner up and we'll we'll try to we try to do this. Uh, we try we'll try to do something together um, in some sort of adventure to advance the rescue operation that needs to take place. Yeah, you want to come get a tour for me? I'll take you around. Okay, well, that and you have you have meetups. I don't want to forget about this, but you know, there's a clandestine location. I would imagine you and your honey badger um, friend. Uh, mm-hmm. You you vet people and then you disclose the location. But you guys have uh, meet and greets and um, events together. We do. We have underground uh, political dissident. Uh, media, meetings, I would say. Yeah. I People gotta, make friends. It's great. It's fun. But you can't find out where it is until we tell you because Antifa. <laughs> I got to tell you, I got to tell you, 30 years ago, I used to go into Portland and the wild radicals on Hawthorne um, that were the abolitionists and, 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 and you could bring ideas, you know, because they're, as you were talking about, you checked me early when I used liberalism, you know, libertarian uh, is just a classical liberal. And I've argued yeah. with these people, you know, they're generally, we should have, you know, a very foundational point of agreement, which is love for country, um, love for civil rights and the constitution. And then we can argue about how government is applied, Right. Well, yeah. you are 30 years later, now uh, you in the radical conservative movement <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the back ends of coffee shops are like, are the radicals, you know, speaking, speaking truth quietly amongst this uh, dystopian totalitarian overlords who are, of course, against the fascist totalitarian overlords that are <laughs> sure to take over if they don't dominate yeah. things. That's true. They got to become the fascists first before it happens to them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Tara, Cocaine Michelle, Garbage Ghost, have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We, we love, love you, Jay. The dude is all right. It's all about community. Come join us. You can find me on Twitter at JFrat. And all episodes of the Conservative Hippie podcast and show notes are published at theconservativehippie.com. 
And of course, as always, if you want to support this podcast and support your smoking lifestyle, go to smokinjays.com and use coupon code HIPPIE, H-I-P-P-I-E, for 15% off at checkout. Down to Jake's place, trying to get ourselves in.